0: Today, by uh, thanking many of you that sent me cards and things, uh, show your appreciation uh, for the ministry. But I got to be honest with you: the privilege is mine. Uh, I am blessed beyond words that I get to do this, that God allows me to do this. But nevertheless, for you that sent me the cards, thank you so so much. Um, Affirmation—you know—it always helps make sure I'm kind of still being effective and hitting the target. So thank you. Well, we're in this series called Steadfast, and one of the things that is repeatedly taught in the word of God is that many start well uh, in their walk with God but not all finish well in fact Jesus told a parable of a sower and the sower went out to sow the seed the seed represented the word of God the kingdom message and he talks about how people responded to it and in that parable you can find it in Matthew 13 three quarters of the individuals that initially seemed receptive to Christ in his kingdom three quarters fall away they they don't endure they were not steadfast there are a lot of temptations there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of hurts there's a lot of obstacles in this life that keep us from walking steadfastly in our devotion to God so that's the basis of the series now I want to add one other thing as the age closes Christ said very clearly that there's going to be increasing pressure um he finally says it will end in a time called the time of great pressure or great tribulation. There is increasing pressure today not to stay loyal to Christ, not to stick to the word of God, not to stick to the will of God, to be silent, to back off, to walk away. And so it's all the more important that we get this urgency of developing and cultivating this trait called steadfastness. So let's look at the kind of the synonyms for it once again. To be steadfast is to be consistent, to be faithful, to be devoted, to be unshakable, unstoppable, and immovable. Now, today we're going to talk about this. Incentives to steadfastness. Now, last week when I started this series, I I listed a few incentives, and I'm going to repeat those again. Uh, If we could just take a brief look at those. Steadfastness is the key to going from impossible to mastery in any field and we're going to talk a lot about that in the second part of this message it's the key to resilient value-based principle governed living what I'm saying by that statement is that we we make our decisions our behavior is uh, under the governance of what we know to be true and what we know to be right as opposed to our feelings or our personal truth we we make our life decisions based on God's truth it's the key to the deepest and healthiest relationships. It's the key to divinely intended character development. We won't grow as Christians. We, we can sit in churches for 30, 40 years, and we will not grow unless we do certain things and remain steadfast at those. It's the key to maximizing our God-given potential and increasing our God-given capacities for love and joy and peace. One of the things we have to understand is that we have these capacities for love, joy, and peace because we're made in the image of God but they can be expanded so that we can experience them on a deeper level but they only occur as we remain steadfast to the word and the will of God so all these things are involved as incentives to steadfastness but I want to talk about two in particular today And, and before we can talk about incentives I think it's important that we have an understanding of motivation itself so let me share a few things with you about that here's the pieces that make up motivation we are all more or less motivated by something all the time Uh, one of the wonderful things about remaining steadfast in our devotion to Christ and the word of God and the will of God is that we carry an enthusiasm we carry a kind of an energy all the time we are motivated all the time I've been a Christian now for many many decades And I've gone through all kinds of highs and lows in life. Every sort you can imagine. But there's never been a time that I have not been enthusiastic about God, His Word, His will, His kingdom, His promises, His plans, His purposes. I I never wake up in the morning without enthusiasm about serving God and, and about growing. Every day, uh, you know, affords opportunities for that. So let's look at where does motivation come from. First of all, motivation comes from our perspective. Now, as we sit here today, I guarantee you this to be true. Every one of us in here has a worldview, has a perspective on life. Some of us, knowingly or unknowingly, we, we have more of a temporal worldview or a temporal perspective we're we're sense governed if we can't see it hear it taste it touch it smell it we're not sure that it's real we're not sure that it's significant we're time bound we know we start in life and we end in life so we're sense governed time bound and we're driven more or less by the fear of death and that tends to make us reckless in the way we live we we feel like I got to get all the gusto now you know I got to fill my bucket list because this life is all there is When my perspective is temporal, my motivation will not be efficient motivation. It will not be trustworthy. It will not be healthy. But if my perspective is eternal, I am now seeing things as God has revealed them in his word. I'm seeing his eternal purposes, his eternal plans. I'm seeing past the grave into eternity. My values change. My perspective changes on life. Hence, my motivation will be changed. My enthusiasm will be something that changes in life can't affect because my perspective is eternal. It goes past the grave, it goes past time. So we have to kind of ask ourselves that Am I governed by a temporal perspective, all things considered, actually? Or am I governed by the eternal perspective? And we all are as we sit here today. Now, once I have my perspective, from my perspective on life comes my priorities. That's my values. Based on what I can see, I determine what matters, what's important. If I'm walking in absolute darkness, uh, how how many you know you live in places where there's not much light at nighttime? I mean, it's I live up on the mountain, man. It's dark, dark. I mean, you cannot see. So when you're walking in darkness, in absolute darkness, uh, you could literally be walking right past bars of gold that are laying around on your lawn, or buckets full of diamonds. (laughs) You know, because you can't see them. They're of no value when you can't see them. At the same time, you could be walking right toward a copperhead and, and ready to step right on it because you can't see it either. When, when my perspective is purely temporal and I don't have an eternal perspective, I can't see a lot of things that are very valuable, and I also can't see things that are dangerous. Hence, my value system gets distorted. But if I'm walking with the eternal perspective... My values become clear. I see that what God says is good and righteous and valuable it is. And what God warns about and calls sin, I see that it's dangerous, destructive, hurtful. So I start to avoid it. My values change. From my values comes processes. Once I determine that something is important, it matters, I then try to find ways to spend as much time focused on that which is valuable and as little time on that which is not valuable. Uh, a picture, a picture an athlete. You know, when, when somebody determines in their mind they want to be an Olympian, an Olympic athlete, they that becomes their value. I'm not saying that it's a great value, but then that creates processes. They know to be an Olympian champion, they're going to have to go through rigorous training, six eight hours a day, probably six days a week. So, motivation, it's perspective, priorities, processes, and then payoffs. I'm not, you're not, we're not gonna be motivated unless we see this makes sense, unless there's a sufficient payoff. There has to be something worthwhile for me to put my effort into. Now, these are the things that motivate us. And, and you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, Randy, I'm not very motivated. Well, you would do well to kinda of trace through these, get along with God and trace through. And probably the problem is perspective. We as, as churchgoers, we we can tend to say the right things, give the right answer, you know, but it doesn't mean we're living by the right answer. For example, we may say that, of course, I have an eternal perspective, but are we actually living that way, or are we living governed by a temporal perspective? So anyway, this this helps you understand motivation and incentives, and in motivation, they're they're kind of connected because incentives are meant to enhance motivation. And and I'm going to show you something later. It's going to require a great deal of honesty on your part and discomfort, maybe a little bit. But I'll show you something about uh, when it comes to motivation and and, and, you know uh, incentives. All right, let me go on. Now, some incentives to start off with. Some incentives are eternal and impact-oriented, meaning that we don't receive tangible. uh, results immediately but they have great lasting impact so I have to look at the impact and I have to be willing to wait they're eternal in nature let, let me share a bunch of scripture with you and then, then we'll reinforce this a bit First Corinthians 15 58 which by the way if you ever wanted a life verse this would be a very good one the, series, the entire series comes from this verse it says therefore my beloved brothers and sisters be what does it say steadfast immovable always excelling in the work of the lord always doing your best and doing more than is needful being continually aware that your labor even to the point of exhaustion in the lord is not futile nor wasted it is never without purpose so it's saying that we we should be always involved always engaged in the work of the Lord there's never a season in life that we shouldn't be engaged in the work of the Lord now the roles and the relationships and responsibilities are going to dictate what that looks like and and it's it's you know okay if that changes at times your work for the Lord might be utterly to devote yourself to your family to the nurturing of your children at other times you have more free time it might be other other areas but there shouldn't ever be a time because God promises anything we do that's aligned with his word and his will his purposes his work that it's never wasted I'm just going to ask a question how many of you can think back of some efforts or some money that you invested you invested some effort or you invested some money and it turned out to be a waste it turned out to be a bust how many know that feeling okay so here's God's promise this is an investment we can make It will never be lost. It will never be wasted. It is always, always the wisest investment that we can make. Let's look at another one. Ephesians chapter 6, it says in verse 8, You know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. Now, I've always looked at these verses, and I'm going to share. You were given an insert when you came in here today, and it has a number of different passages that clearly show the types of rewards that God will give uh, you know respect to and and will be rewarded for things that we do but rewards is interesting to me because if you're like me you probably don't think much about it I, I mean I just consider it's a reward that God even likes me loves me wants me allows me to serve him and and that's frankly reward enough But I suspect that when we get before the throne of God, things that we have long forgotten, things that we didn't even consider significant at all, we will be shocked that God will remember these and he will disproportionately reward us for them. God God just delights in disproportionately rewarding. Kim referred to that passage of Scripture uh, where the Lord says to the servants, you have been faithful in a few things, I will give you, I'll reward you in many things but things that we've long ago for, for whatever good whatever good and there's opportunities for good each and every day let's look at another one revelation 22:12. 12 it says listen says jesus i am coming soon and i will bring my rewards with me now listen to this to give each one according to what he has what what he has done it's very individual and individual individualistic and very specific the rewarding It's going to be exacting. It's going to be exactly fitting for you, exactly fitting for me. And and listen, reward is not based on giftedness. Reward is based on faithfulness. Giftedness is, you know, God gives us all different gifts. He distributes them. And then they become a trust that we should you know develop and utilize uh, to the best of our ability but it's faithfulness it's it's faithfulness that gets rewarded but here Jesus is reminding us again that when he returns he's returning with reward the book of Daniel talks about this chapter 12 it says those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to what righteousness like the stars forever and ever Now, you may not pick up on it immediately, but there's two distinct levels of rewarding that's looked upon here. Daniel first says, Those that are wise, well, they'll shine like the brightness of the heavens. That's pretty glorious. But then he says, Those who lead many to righteousness, they'll shine like the stars forever and ever. So he's showing degrees of reward. That is taught all through Scripture. Degrees of faithfulness fits us to receive degrees of further opportunity to serve God and serve others in eternity the reward is a enlarged capacity to give to serve to love Uh, it's it's not you know like oh look at my mansion you know (laughs) compared to that mansion over there you're living in a little shack or I'm living in a little shack I mean you hear silly things that people think about reward but reward is essentially listen what we're doing right now in this life we don't know it but we are auditioning for our eternal future positions, our eternal future functions. This is so hard for us to grasp because we can't see past time, but, but we're showing by our faithfulness or lack thereof, by our ingenuity, by our zeal, by our passion, by our sacrifice or lack thereof, we are showing what we will be fitted to be entrusted with for eternity to come now I know some of you are probably thinking hey look man if I get into heaven I don't care if I'm on a park bench you know I had a guy actually tell me that years ago (laughs) as long as I make the cut you know but we're going to be surprised we're going to be surprised now nobody's going to be walking around heaven kicking golden uh, pavement and saying oh shucks I wish I'd have worked harder and done better and I don't want you to misunderstand me our good works don't make us earn a position in heaven. No, no, no. The only people that are going to be in heaven are those that have put their trust in Christ and become his followers and that's what fits us to be in God's kingdom. It's purely of his grace, it's purely of his mercy. Once we return to him and trust him and become a follower of Christ, now he can work in us, he can work through us and we're fit for his kingdom. But it's after we've trusted Christ our faithfulness in life it's going to matter your life matters every day matters every opportunity seized matters every small thing will become great when it comes time for eternal positioning and eternal functioning and I, and I think that we're going to be very surprised at what a huge difference that that will make so I've been spending some time, uh, I had a couple weeks off, you know, Kim and Pete did such a great job, so, so during that time off, I spent a good deal of time at the dump, I mean, some people go to the beach, when I'm off, I go to the dump, <laughs> and uh, if you go to the dump, it is a most interesting place, uh, you, you, first of all, you drive into this little concrete building, and it feels small when you're in there, because there's this gargantuan piece of machinery with this, like 500 pound shovel on the front of it that's scooping up trash and, and whizzing around and you just know man if this guy doesn't see me if I'm in his blind spot my car is gone it's, it's going to just crack like an eggshell but the dump is interesting because when you get to the dump and if you're like me you know you're a little curious and so as I'm throwing my trash I'm looking at the trash that's already there <laughs> I'm not going to take anything in fact they have a sign saying you can't but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but the things you see you know th- these are things that were once follow with me now they were once very valuable to people people worked hard long hours they spent their hard-earned money to get these things and probably some of these things when they got them they were very excited they, they, they were thrilled to have these things maybe they waited a long time to get them and now and let me go further and they even argued over them in some cases we don't have the money yes we do we need it no we don't you know? so a lot of emotion a lot of intensity uh, a lot of impact these folks felt when they purchased these things or were trying to negotiate to purchase these things and there it all is it's at the dump it's thrown away it's now considered of no value it was once very valuable to them but now it has no value at all. It didn't endure in value. And, and so every time I go to the dump, I think this, this is a real picture of life investing intensely, emotionally engaged in things that ultimately will really not matter. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need things. We need things to survive and all like that. And I'm not knocking anybody, buying things that you need or even things that you want. But I'm saying we ought to all have a cautionary um, position in our minds that someday no matter how good and shiny and this looks and no matter how excited I am that I have it it's it's going to end up in the dump it's going to end up as trash it's not going to have any lasting value so this should cause us to ask what does have lasting value and I mean lasting I mean what has value beyond death itself Because that'll tell us what we should be investing most of our time and emotional energy and our resources into. Because those things are going to endure. And God means to incentivize us by getting us to invest in the things that are going to endure in the things that when we stand in eternity, we're going to be so happy that we invested in them. Daniel says those that, that lead many to righteousness, they're going to shine like the stars forever. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Is there going to be literally differing degrees of luminosity that show how faithful or unfaithful a person's been? I, I don't know. But what I do know is that Daniel, led by the Spirit of God, is saying there's nothing you can ever do that's more valuable than to try to connect somebody to to Christ, their creator, and to lead somebody to righteousness. That's going to endure. So let's look at some things that will endure past the grave. People, human beings, we're all going to endure past the grave. When you and I invest in human beings, we are investing something that has eternal worth. That's critical that we get our values sorted out. Character, Your character, my character, anyone else's character. It's going to endure. We're going to take who we are right into eternity. You say, but Randy, I, I thought, you know, that we're going to be instantly perfected. <coughs> well, kind of. We're going to get, when Jesus returns, we're going to get our resurrection bodies and all the lights are going to go on and that's going to make an enormous difference. But the, the degree of development of our character it's going to be what it is now it's going to you know take a leap forward for sure at the resurrection but our character and our character development and the time we invest in developing christ-like character in this life you guys have heard me say this a million times and if you're angry at me for hearing it too many i'm going to say it anyway your purpose in life my purpose in life is to become who christ created me to become and to do what Christ created me to do that's a very simple easy to remember thing if you and I don't have clarity though on our purpose in life we will misinvest our time our talents our treasure our our sacred trust and so forth so character will endure and influence meaning the influences that we have on other people if if we Uh, help a person move toward Christ, toward their God, if we help a person to learn the truth about God and the truth about life, if we influence people, draw them toward God, that will endure. So these are things that are endured. These are are things that are worth investing in. They they won't end up in the dump, the dump of time uh, and the dump of eternity. Let me add to this three experiences that will also endure. Reconciliation with God. When I go from distrusting God to trusting in God as he's revealed himself in Christ and becoming his follower that endures transformation I say that again when I grow and I start to become more and more like the Christ like version of myself that I was meant to be man that's valuable that endures that goes past the grave and then reproduction when I actually lead someone else or help someone else to put their trust in Christ and become his follower these these things endure therefore if we're wise we ought to be incentivized to invest heavily in these things create a set of priorities in our life and a set of processes in our life because these things have payoffs that will endure forever now i said earlier in your program you have a little insert that i put in there for you or or i didn't put it in there but i uh, the list the list came from a bible institute that i did in fact if you're interested in knowing more about Uh, Rewards and judgment and judgment day I did a whole I guess it's an hour and a half two hour teaching on that you can find it on our YouTube site toward the bottom of the page it's one of the Bible Institute I think it's called Eternal Rewards but if you look on there there's about 21 things that scripture specifically says God will reward us for and then if you look on the flip side you'll see that uh, what the basis of our judgment will be you know it has to do with you know our, our our time and our treasure and, and our sacred trusts and things like that we need to be aware of these things because the thing that gives meaning to life because you might be sitting there thinking well, well why this judgment is this just to scare us and you know get us all in line uh, why this stuff of rewards and all like that because God wants us to know that every single second of your life matters it is enormously important and valuable that every experience you and I go through, it matters to him. He watches. He doesn't watch with an eye to condemn and curse. He watches with an eye to see us develop and so that he can reward us disproportionately in the future. But, but you just gotta let this sink in, man. It, it's, it's God trying to tell us don't you know how much you matter don't you know how much every experience you go into work and you deal with difficulties and hardships and uh, all kinds of unfairness and difficult people and difficult you know, bosses and so forth and you feel like it doesn't really matter it matters it matters how you conduct yourself it matters how we conduct ourselves in day to day things God is watching not with a condemning eye but with a loving eye an eye that wants to bless and build and reward eternal rewards it's something that God wants to uh, incentivize us motivate us to be steadfast now I said earlier I'm going to show you how powerful incentives are but it's going to require a moment of uncomfortable honesty (laughs) on your part should I do it or not okay all right statistics They do statistical studies. They've done this for decades. And statistically speaking, about 85% of individuals that come to trust in Christ, be his follower, and stick, become steadfast, about 85% of them, year after year, decade after decade, they are first invited to church. A simple invite. Their friends, their co workers, their family members, somebody that knows them typically. Somebody that already has credibility. It's not that a stranger can't do it because that that happens uh, as well. But nevertheless, the ones that come to Christ and stick and stay and become steadfast, about 85% are done by a simple invite. All right, here's where we get the moment of uncomfortable honesty. I want you to just think, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands or anything, but I want you to think on average and this is not meant to guilt trip you please this is an illustration I just want this thing to sink in to show you the power of incentive um, try to think right now how many people on average do you invite to church in a given year so you know sit there and ponder it just for a second it might, it might be one it might be three it might be a dozen but knowing what you know now that how powerful this experience can be how many do you on average invite all right, so you got your number in your head everybody got i ask you that man. everybody got a number in your head Everybody, you, you know, just, just, just give me your hand on that okay alright now what if I started a new outreach program and the outreach program was called Bounty Hunters for Christ <laughs> and I'm going to pay you a thousand dollars a head one person Every person you invite to church that comes with you, I'm going to give you $1,000. Moment of uncomfortable honesty. Whatever number you had in your head before, whatever number you first had, moment of honesty. How many think, that number's going to grow, Randy? (laughs) That number's going to grow. I can be way more creative and bold and intentional that I've ever been. Sign me up, man. I want to be a part of bounty hunters for Christ. Thousand dollars ahead. Is, is is a life worth a thousand dollars? Yeah. Am I going to do that program? No. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you for hands on this one. Moment of uncomfortable honesty. How many thousand dollars ahead? Your number went up. Can I see your hands? Oh sure. Do you see how powerful incentives are? Now. Then we have to ask ourselves, well, why why doesn't the promise of God that he is going to reward us disproportionately for eternity, why doesn't that motivate us as concretely as a thousand bucks per head would? We have to ask ourselves that. And this isn't a guilt trip you're inviting people to church. You, you know, that, that, of course, I want you to invite people to church. Of course, we all want to, we that are Christians, want to lead others to Christ. Of course. I'm just going to take that for granted. But, but what I'm trying to show is where's the disconnect? Why, why aren't we as motivated by something that's, that's out there as we are something that's tangible? And, and what it comes down to is the degree of our trust in the promise of God and the one that's promising there's one other factor intentional focus I think some of us we trust God we we trust that he's really going to reward and it's going to be disproportionate we trust that he just delights in lavishing his children with the expressions of his delight in us at the appropriate time in the appropriate way but where we I think short circuit this thing is we don't think about it enough I know I don't think about it enough I don't think about this incentive of eternal reward. Like I said, I, t- I consider it a reward that I just get to be a part of his family, that I, that I get to share the truth about him with people. That, that's kind of the reward. But, but that's, uh, I think, short-circuiting the power that if I focused every day that God actually wants me to understand that he is going to reward me for faithfulness. He doesn't want me to be mercenary. He's not trying to buy me. He's not trying to bribe me. But he is trying to motivate me or help my motivation in a world that is very demotivating, in a world that is very discouraging, in a world that is very resistant to what God calls us to be and to do. And, And so he's trying to balance it within this incentive but unless I focus on it, it's going to not have the power to sufficiently energize me. I, I hope that makes sense. Now, now, the other side of this is that this. Some incentives, though, are temporal. They are right now. The payoff is now. Unfortunately, though, it's not quick. It's process-oriented. Let, let's, let's look at that. Some incentives are temporal. Payoff comes now while we're still living and breathing and process oriented so we get it now but we don't get it as fast as what we would like to get it there is a process that's necessary uh, that goes in between and this is where as, as Christians we get very confused uh, let, let me just give an example um, Leo, guy who plays keyboard he's like a magician we, we've had a lot of, lot of different keyboard players through the 31 years of this church we've never had anybody like Leo Leo is, is a master musician he, oh yeah his, um, his sense of timing and sensitivity to the, the atmosphere of the spirit his ability to flow I mean the guy is just he's in a whole different league so, so let's just say uh, I go home and I pray and I say oh God <laughs> I want to play the keys like Leo <laughs> And I am asking in complete faith that you can do all things so God thank you I'm auditioning this week and so I go marching in and I say can let let me show you what I can do because I know God's going to answer my prayer because I ask in faith how many of you think I'm gonna play like Leo no no it's not happening it's not happening it takes time, it takes work, it takes training, it takes uh, steadfastness, you know, and so God works through process. Farmers know this, you know, a farmer just can't go out, in the name of Jesus, I declare that field will be full of corn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and not plow, not, you know, seed or anything. We, we, we accept process on a regular basis, but as Christians, for some reason, we, we turn off the circuitry and we don't seem to understand that that God has ordained in this age process hence steadfastness is critical so let's look at some verses that, that talk about process Philippians 2 verse 13 now this is a really cool verses a lot a lot of stuff hidden in here first reading through it it says for it is God who is working in you that work working there the Greek word the New Testament, was written, New Testament written in Greek the Greek word there is energeo it means it's God that's releasing his energy in us for God is who is working in you releasing energy in you and that energy enabling you both to what desire and to work out his good purpose this is a cool verse it, it, it's saying that God when he's at work in us it inspires us, it, in, it energizes us, it changes our desires first. We start desiring things that God desires. We start not desiring things that God does not desire. But it doesn't just leave us with a new set of desires, it enables us to work out His purposes. God is doing all His work on this earth through you, through me, through we, the body of Christ. And God is energizing us motivating us incentivizing us to desire his will to desire the right things and then actually to have the power to be steadfast and to stick with it and to work it out on earth it's a powerful verse let me show you another one hebrews 5 it says in verse 12 for although by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you the very first principles of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who has to drink milk is still a baby without experience in, what does it say? Applying the word of righteousness. So the writer of Hebrews is saying that, that, that if I'm not... Uh, practiced if and I'm not skilled in applying. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's one thing to even know what it says accurately, and that's important. That's critical. That's a first step. But then God wants us to to grow. How does this apply in my everyday life? It goes on to say this but solid food is for the mature, for those whose what faculties what are what faculties are we talking about those whose faculties have been trained by continuous exercise the faculties of our god enlightened reasoning the frontal lobe in our brains the god enlightened reasoning faculties and our conscience they can be greatly expanded. They can be filled with God's truth and God's perspective and they grow, they get stronger. That conscience doesn't just you know, tell us warning, warning. That conscience can literally have the power to stop us from doing what God says is, is destructive and wrong and to do what God says is right. These faculties, but they won't grow unless they've been trained by, what does it say? Continuous exercise to distinguish good from evil so the writer of Hebrews is saying that there were individuals he was writing to that should, should have been further along in their progress but they weren't further along in their progress because they didn't allow themselves to be trained and have their faculties their spiritual faculties grow by continuous exercise that's a process that's a process if I want to play like Leo <laughs> I've got a long process to go through and I still may never play like Leo but, but we understand this on so many levels, but for some reason, in spiritual, uh, fac- or in spiritual practices, we, we seem to have a disconnect. So let me introduce you to um, a man. His name is Professor K. Anders Erickson. And the question How long does it take to achieve mastery in a skill? Uh, that's his book, uh, Peak Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. He spent his lifetime studying superior performers in the arts, sciences, and sports. Goes on, according to Erickson, you need how many years? 10 years of both deliberate practice, and we're gonna explain what that is, and experience to acquire mastery. So, so pause for a minute. What Erickson's studies have shown, you, me, anyone can become an expert in a given field but you have to have laser focus and you have to put yourself through about a 10 year period of a very different kind of training it's not, it's not just practice like doing the same thing all the time these training activities have a number of things in common no matter what area, which area you look at they require intense focus they take you outside of your comfort zone and force you to try something that's what? beyond your current ability remember the old, the old saying anything worth doing is worth doing right. it's worth doing right, right or well right that's not true if you wait until you can do something right you'll never do it here's the saying you need to tuck away anything worth doing it's worth doing now and it's worth doing poorly because if you don't do it now you're not likely to do it and if, you don't, if you're not willing to do it poorly, you'll never do it right. You'll never do it well. So that's, And essentially, Erickson is saying there's a capacity for expertise in everyone, but you have to go through a process. And it's a 10-year process, and this guy's done extensive studies. He goes on to explain a little bit more. These processes or this training, it involves feedback to pinpoint things that need improvement and they lead you to develop the ability to anticipate, plan and monitor your own performance. These highly effective sorts of training activities are what I and my colleagues defined as deliberate practice. So by deliberate practice, he's saying that it's not enough just to... Let, let's just say you want to get become an expert in tennis. It's not just enough to go and play tennis every day you have to play with the eye to your deficiencies and to try to improve specific deficiencies and bring in coaches and experts that can help you reflect and help you to learn the techniques you need. So it's a particular kind of practice. Now, what if we applied this to our walk with God? I, I, I mean, I'm going to give you examples. Sometimes, Sometimes people wonder, they say, you know, I hear about this peace that God's supposed to give you. And I hear about this joy. And I hear about this love. But I don't feel any of that stuff. I, I, oh, I, I so want to feel it. Picture someone like this. Picture someone, their cabinets are full of food, their refrigerator is full of food. And you have just cooked them a meal, and, and the plate is right there. They, they can smell it. And they're, they're, they're there with the plate in front of them, and they're saying, Oh, God, I'm so hungry. Why do you allow me to feel this hunger pain? Why won't you feed me? Why won't you make me feel full? Oh, God, am I not your child? And the obvious is just pick the stinking fork up and put it in your mouth. Process. And you'll feel full if you do it enough times. But but Christians think that we can just, oh, God, give me peace, give me joy, give me love. And he just zaps it into us. That's not the way it works. It's when we are steadfast in learning his word, learning his will, practicing his word, practicing his will, seeking to increase in becoming more Christ-like, taking that serious, deliberate kind of practice to to gain expertise. Then these things sneak up on us. We start saying, oh, wow, why do I feel this peace? And why, why do I feel joy and and." and why is my, my capacity to care and to love other people expanding it happens after a process you can't pray it into you right how, 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 many, how, many, how many of you know this there, there, there are people that believe um, I'm going I'm to get somebody angry I don't know if I should say this or not I'll say it uh, <laughs> there are people that believe so strongly that God can heal I believe God can heal too okay but there are people that take it to a different level they believe that god always heals always must heal he's promised he'll always heal and if we don't get healed when we pray it's just because we we lack the faith or we got hidden sin or something like that well those same people that believe that with all their heart if they break their arm and that bone is sticking out through the skin how many you know they're not going to just pray right how many you know that those same people wear glasses So we we have to dial in God's methodology in this age and part of that methodology is utilization of process. Taking the opportunities and abilities and capacities that he's given to us, that he's put us in contact with and using them and using them steadfastly. that's, That's critical. Let me share a verse with you. Galatians 6 verse 9, it says, Let us not grow weary, or become discouraged in doing good which shows that we can get tired of doing good we, we can feel like it's not happening it's not making any difference it's being taken advantage of we can get discouraged for at the proper time we will reap if we do not what? we got to remain steadfast some things take time some things we pour ourselves into, and there doesn't seem to be any improvement. And we get discouraged, and we think, I'm not going to do this. It's not working. I give up. And and we might be so close to the harvest, but we don't know. We have to just wait some things out. In, In my office, over my desk. I hope this picture will come out where you can read it. Now, you probably can't read it, can you? Can we get it on the big screen over there? It's still kind of light. I'll read it to you. What it says in the corner, "The desire to quit is the last obstacle between you and what God has promised you." Now, I don't even remember who gave me that. I know I've had it in my office probably uh, at least 14, 15 years now. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I should I should have known. (laughs) I'm going to write that down. Be more appreciative. (laughs) Specifically. (laughs) I should have known. I'll tell you something about myself. (laughs) He's second. First of all, I'm I'm going to say this. I don't do this anymore. I haven't done this for uh, probably... maybe 15 years Um, but my first 15 years or so um, there were more times than I I feel I feel embarrassed if I ever told you how many times that I would literally man I'd I'd get so discouraged and I would go through this scenario I had the same scenario I was going to get in my car I was going to drive it until there was no more gas in the tank wherever I was at I was going to land in that little town somewhere not let anybody know anything about me just be this little nice, weird fellow that sits in the back you know pew in a church, never open my mouth again about you know anything, and work in a t-shirt shop or something like that, and just wait until my life ended. I, I would get that scared, that that beaten down, that discouraged. Now thank God, uh I lived through enough of those things, and each time I'd lived through it and not quit, I'd recognize, oh man, what was I thinking? Why how did I ever allow that in my head? And I haven't for, I guess, 15 years now. I hope it's been that long. But maybe you're feeling like that. I'm going to read this thing to you again. The desire to quit is the last obstacle between you and what God has promised you. Some things take time. We have to wait on the Lord. And the time feels like it's it's paralyzingly slow. But I've seen God work and things happen that I never thought would have ever happened. So maybe that's the whole message to somebody here today, that, that you just need to wait. God's working out a process. Maybe he's working in you. Maybe he's working around you. Some things take time. So let's close with a couple of questions. Of which do you need to focus in order to remain steadfast in your devotion to the will of God? The certainty that your life is meant to have eternal impact. It is. Your life Your life has so much more potential than I know I know very few people see it or believe it. And your life matters so much more. Don't waste it. Don't misinvest it. Misinvest it. Seize the opportunities for eternal impact. Look at that list that I put in your, in your program. Just look at the things that God says he's going to reward eternally for. Maybe it's the area of eternal impact you or I have not taken serious enough maybe we need to look at it once a week and think about it that every day is an opportunity for things that will matter for eternity maybe the understanding maybe we need the understanding that God works through process because maybe some of us are that close to giving up giving in caving in doing something crazy that would be tragic tragic And this day the Spirit of God is saying, I'm trying to work something out. I'm trying to work something in you. I'm trying to bring you to a stage of maturity. I'm trying to work some things around you. And you just need to be patient because I'm at work. You just don't see it. You just don't feel it. But it's happening. And it's meant to incentivize you. We need to know that some things take time to develop. Ten years for expertise in any area. So I don't know which one of those areas might be the one that you or I need to focus on. I guess I do know the one for myself. But um, I hope the Spirit of God has prompted you to lay hold of these incentives because they're meant to motivate us and fill us with enthusiasm that nothing can steal away. And I am living proof that God gives that kind of enthusiasm. And I am far from a tower of strength or a perfect man what he's done in me and done for me he wants to do in each and every one of us so i hope you'll take whichever one of these might be appropriate to you and get along with god and and do some prayer do some focus until things start to change inside you let's pray father your spirit is so good and your will for us so good so immensely beyond what we can ask or think Help us to believe that. Help us to enter into that. Help us to seize these incentives and be motivated and enthusiastic for you and your kingdom and for things that are eternal for the rest of our days. May we start it today. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.